Welcome to episode 90 from The Shed End. Theo, how you doing? Not bad. Uh, again, Chelsea defeat weekend slightly ruined because of that. But again, it's starting to look like the start of spring. Sun is shining here in London. I'm not sure what it's looking up north, but at least here it's blue skies. And it really does feel like a spring day. So at least that's cheering me up a bit on a Monday afternoon. I can assure you it's grey clouds, just like Chelsea at the moment. <laughs> it's grey, rain. Um, it's meant to be forecasted for, for some decent weather, I think, at the weekend or the back end of this week. So I'm looking forward to that. But grey grey cloud over Stamford Bridge again this weekend. Before we get into the Brighton game, please, if you haven't done so, make sure you subscribe to the channel. Like, share, all of that stuff. Make sure you hit the link tree link as well in the description takes you to all the previous episodes as well, where we actually enjoyed recording the podcast, where we had our, our very good moments, where we were winning Champions Leagues, we are in the FA Cup final league. Go back and listen to all of those, because this episode might might be a bit more doom and gloom um, after the result on Saturday. But Theo, another defeat to add to the other two that Frank Lampard's got since he came back. Welcome home. For Frank Lampard, what it was supposed to be didn't turn out that way. What was your thoughts against Brighton? Let's start with the lineup first. What was your initial thoughts on our lineup against Brighton? Yeah, well, I thought we'd had to rotate and um, rest some some players that were definitely going to feature against um, Real Madrid uh, tomorrow. Um, so it made sense to rotate. Um, Again, back four, uh, which is something I'm not a big fan of. It was Fafana and um, Badjashil with um, Shieldwell and Chiloba right back. Um, Kepa retained his spot as number one because I think Lampard confirmed a bit later on that Mendy's still recovering from that injury he has. I was actually expecting Mendy to start, but if Mendy's not 100% fit, then it makes complete sense to to keep Kepa between the sticks. Um, yeah, I guess it made sense to rest um rest silver for the big one um, in the Champions League. Um, so I think defence maybe made sense. Maybe it didn't make sense to stick to a back four, given that um, um, Cucurella has been out of form. Aspie's maybe still not 100% fit. Um, midfielders, I'm trying to remember who featured it. Was it Gallagher and Zacharia. Enzo, I believe? Enzo, yeah. Zacharia, that's right, yeah. Zacharia, who I don't think's featured at all since his injury against Fulham at Craven Cottage. And I think it showed, actually. Um, I think the two kind of players that were really shaky, especially in that first half, were Zakaria and Trevor Chaloba at right back. And those two players, I think, haven't featured an awful lot in 2023. So I think that was very apparent. Um, then in, um, Madrid, it was good to see Madrid get some minutes. And I thought he looked quite solid. He had a really sharp start. And what I thought was um, quite a good shot towards the end, and probably our biggest chance of the game after the the goal in a way. Um, and then who else was there? It was um, so Pulis- Sterling Pulisic who, as well. Pulisic and yep. Sterling who were very ineffective again. Um, I can't really remember them doing much other than maybe trying to get past, you know, some of the Brighton defenders and then just losing possession. And I'm a big fan of Sterling, but I do think something that was really frustrating and it was frustrating the crowd at Stamford Bridge on Saturday afternoon is he slows things down a little. He gets the ball on the wing and instead of just driving forwards like Mudrick would do, like Eden Hazard would do back in the day, he just kind of stops the ball, lifts his head and looks for a pass, whether that be backwards or sideways, whether that, whether, and instead he should be trying to take on whoever's in front of him. Um, but yeah, lineup, I guess, made kind of sense. Um, I think Havertz and Loftus-Cheek injured, according to Lampard, so it didn't feature. Mendy still not fit. Aspi maybe still recovering, so he was fit enough to make the bench but didn't come off the bench 
Um, so yeah, I think it's one of those games that it makes sense to recover, um, rest your star players in Kante, Silva, um, potentially Felix and those type of guys for the game against Madrid. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a it was a lineup that we kind of both predicted would be you know have a lot of changes and there would be a lot of rotation with the game in mind for tomorrow. But Dennis Zakaria, I mean, I, we we haven't. I mean, we we joked before because if you remember under his time under Graham Potter, he hadn't started, and then he had that sort of one or two you know, free games where he played actually half decent. You know, he had a, a good sort of run for for three or four games, but. To throw him into a game where you know Brighton are going to press you from the the moment the game kicks off and there's going to be a lot of expectation for him to be on top of things in that midfield. Uh, It was a a massive ask for him, I think, as well. And, uh, you know, I get why Frank Lampard wanted to rest, you know, N'Golo Kante. Um, I potentially would have played him and maybe rested Enzo, if I'm honest. I think he potentially, like we said on the last episode, has played pretty much every game he's played since he signed for the club. He maybe needed a rest to freshen him up for for, for Tuesday against Real Madrid. Um, everything else made sense apart Ke- apart from Kepa. You know, maybe would have gave Mendy if he's not if he's not fit. Then I didn't know that, but you know, it makes sense. You know, Kepa again maybe needs a rest. Um, question we can talk about later against Real Madrid, but um, it was difficult. I think for that defense, you look at the defense; it was very. I don't want to call it inexperienced, but it was very, very young, you know, in terms of Badia Shield, Wesley Fafana, Trevor Chalabra, you know, Ben Chilwell, you potentially look as the most experienced in terms of uh, defenders that we had on the pitch, but they were, they were run ragged. You know, you look at Matoma, who I thought was brilliant. We have to credit Brighton. You know, they played really well um, throughout the game. Uh, Evan Ferguson as well, brilliant player, you know, going off and you see Danny well, Danny Welbeck come on and you automatically think they're going to score a goal because he loves to score um, against Chelsea. But I want to talk um, about the, the the fact that Patrick, Patrick Pierre-Emerick, nearly done it again, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Um, I don't know why I've got Patrick on my mind whenever I talk about him, but um, he, he wasn't involved in the team again. It's something that I just don't understand where we're lacking goals. We're lacking someone who's in front of goal. He's not playing on Tuesday. He's not in the squad. You've got Raheem Sterling, who, as we know, has zero confidence at the moment. Surely Aubameyang has to, regardless of what you know, people are saying, you know, he might leave the club in, in the summer. Fair enough, but he's still contracted at Chelsea. He's still employed by the club. He's still an option. You know, he's on the bench, so he's clearly an option. Was that a strange decision for you for, from Lampard not to blame, knowing that he's not to be included in tomorrow's squad? Very strange. And I think as well, the, the steps leading up to the game kind of indicated that he would start. I mean, we both had him in our predicted lineups. He played, I think, the final 10 or 15 minutes at the Molyneux last weekend. He wasn't in the Champions League squad um, on Wednesday night, so going to feature against Madrid. He's not going to feature on t- Tuesday night tomorrow. So I think everything was indicating that he would start or at least come off the bench to have an impact in the game against Brighton, but he didn't, which was very strange. And what was even more strange was the players that came off the bench. I think Hakim Ziyech is another one that I think doesn't have a future at Chelsea. Um, Zakaria, like you, you just spoke about, um, it was a big ask for him, having not played a lot of football lately. And it looks, it's looking more and more likely that we're not going to make that loan permanent. And I think even I WhatsApped you the day before the game and said, I don't think he'd even feature at all again for Chelsea. And the next thing you know, he's in the starting eleven. Um, so I think if these type of players are getting minutes, then why isn't Aubameyang getting minutes or starting? He's a proven Premier League goal scorer. Lampard, I think, even tried to sign him when he was at Arsenal back in 2020 or something like that. So I think it's a player that must start. I kind of don't 
know who, what our next Premier League game is. I think it's postponed next weekend. Um, but I think we've got Brentford midweeks at some point. I think that's a game he's just got to start. We're lacking goals at the moment. We've got one goal in our last five games. We've got a player who knows where the back of the net is. He had a good spell in that kind of October period under Graham Potter. I just think it's time to bring him back in the team. You know, allow these players like Enzo, like Mount, like Felix to play around them. Have a you know, play, have a player at number nine who knows how to score, and maybe these players can gain a bit of confidence by getting assists or having that fluid football around them. But it doesn't look like we're going to get there at the moment with the players that we're starting. Like you said, Sterling, who's really low on confidence. Felix, who looks isolated in every game he plays and hardly touches the ball at times. So yeah, I think um, Yang needs to start now and I was really frustrated he didn't even get a single minute against Brighton. Strange. It is a strange one. Um, let's talk about Conor Gallagher's goal, if we can call it a goal. I, I did say, you know, if, if we score goals, it's normally a, a fluky, you know, a bit of luck and, and there was definitely luck in that goal. It took a massive deflection before it went past Sanchez. It's... It didn't fill me with joy, I'll be honest. I didn't celebrate. I'm at that period of the season where even if we score goals, I automatically think one, VAR. I always think that now. Even if there's no one offside, I still think VAR. Let's wait to see if there's a VAR moment, but there, there wasn't, obviously. And also, I think we're never a team at the moment who, when we go 1-0 up, look like we were able to shut the door or we were able to go and get that second goal to kill the game or the third goal to kill the game. We always allow teams to come back in and, I mean, it was a good goal, from, you know, good shot. It was, it was, it was, it was very fluky. But what was your thoughts on on Conor Gallagher's performance as well? Someone who does work hard for the team, but clearly isn't always a first team regular. Yeah, I mean, talking about the goal to start off, um, we were joking with my my friend who I sat next to at the game because I think a couple of minutes before the goal, one of the Brighton players had deflected off and then went for a corner, and we joked saying that. Oh, the only way that we'll score a goal is if we just hit it on the Brighton players and it might eventually go in. And then a couple of minutes later, that's how we scored our goal. Um, so yeah, a bit of a fluke, but the Chelsea fans nevertheless chanted, um, you know, we scored a goal, we scored a goal. Um, but but yeah, I think in terms of Gallagher's performance, I think he's a very useful asset to have in a squad. Uh, what I do like about Gallagher is his work rate, his energy. He He's a box-to-box midfielder, he'll run the whole length of the pitch to try to retrieve the ball. We know that sometimes he can be a bit erratic and sometimes that can can be a bit dangerous for us. Going back to that, those two yellows he picked up um, against Leicester earlier in the season. Um, but I somehow do hope that maybe Lampard being the perfect number eight and box-to-box midfielder can install some kind of qualities in him that he needs to be that, that player. Um, but I think what we haven't seen enough of him this season is goals. Um, at Leicester, I think he had six or seven goals last season and he scored some crackers as well. And he's only got two now. That was his first at Stamford Bridge um, for, in a Chelsea shirt. But I do think he's a useful player. Um, it's quite hard for him as well. He doesn't always get you know, a consistent run of games in, this, in the first team. He often features off the bench or starts a game that doesn't start the next one. But I think it's a player that he was he almost joined. I think it was Everton or Newcastle back in January. Newcastle, I think almost I think both. came very close. Yeah, it might have been both. I think forty million it was. Um, and it's another player that I think his name will be mentioned a lot in the next couple of months with, a, with an exit. Given that we have to recoup some money for FFP reasons, but I think he's a he's a good player. He's got great energy. He fits that kind of homegrown uh, criteria that we need. Um, but yeah, I think that was a, probably one of the 
highlights of the game was Gallagher's performance and energy and work rate he brought on the pitch. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, I agree with you 100%. You know, I think he's a, I, I always sit on the fence with players like Conor Gallagher because uh, we don't see them enough. You know, there's, we haven't seen a consistent run of games where Conor Gallagher can, what can he do? You know, how does he perform, you know, after 10 games in the team? Um, he just doesn't get that run of games to say, is he good enough to, to maintain a starting position in, in, in the team? So I think it's really difficult to judge him based on the fact that he's coming off the bench or he's starting, like you say, one game, misses another two or comes off, a, off off the bench as a sub. So we're not really seeing that run of the consistent run of games for him. So it is difficult to judge him, but I thought he played really well. You know, I thought he played really well on Saturday. He, you know, he, he, he is to me still a headless chicken, but I like that about him because he can, you know, he'll, he'll get around the pitch, he'll make things happen. You know, he's one of the players that if we do lose possession of the ball, he's one of the first to try and rec- recover it back. Um, which I want to talk about in a minute because both goals, if you remember both of them, um, we, we had possession of the ball before Brian scored. Um, but Conor Gallagher for me is someone who, he, he does the dirty work. He almost, almost reminds me slightly of Kovacic a couple of seasons ago. Um, likes to drive forward with the ball, isn't scared to get back and get the ball. You know, Like you said, box to box. He, he is that sort of midfielder for me. But... The first goal, I mean, Welbeck's goal, I think it is Kovacic that might give it up. I can't remember if it's Kovacic or whoever loses possession of the ball. I think it ends up with Solly March on the right-hand side, whips the ball into Danny Welbeck. Fafana and Chalabra, both of them try to challenge Welbeck, but neither actually do anything. But if you notice about Brighton, whenever they've got the ball and they're going forward, the amount of numbers, you know, they've got three or four bodies in the, in the box and... and we used to be like that. If you remember, with, like you mentioned before, Hazard and you know the, those sort of players, when we'd get the ball, we'd pick it up on the halfway line or wherever, and we'd get it into the box. There's three or four of Ch- you know, Chelsea players in the box. Brian done that to us. You know they they didn't give us any time on the ball. And as I said, when we went one nil up, you just knew that goal was coming from Brian somewhere. Um, Danny Welbeck of all of all people. Did you feel that goal was avoidable? Could could we have done better before the build up? Because it was for me a goal that we could again. I've said it. I think last week and the week before, our goals that we're conceding are so you know they're avoidable, and we just we just seem to let teams come back into the game. Yeah, it was very avoidable. Um, credit to Brighton, like you said initially, because every chance they had, it looked like they were going to score. And even before the Gallagher goal, I think it was Marvin Matoma who whacked it against the crossbar. Uh, F, yeah, and yeah. So I think they had like, yeah, and they had like loads of different chances in that first half and second half. And that, I think the better team actually won that game of football. But um, in terms of the the first goal, it was avoidable for me. I think it almost that ball was crossed almost in slow mo. And it just felt a bit clumsy from the centre-backs and Chiloba, who just couldn't really get up in time to, you know, challenge Welbeck for that header. It almost felt like they were almost scared. Um, surfing is something, again, it's a cross. It's almost, it feels like a set piece and we just haven't really been practising these enough or we don't know how to defend set pieces at the moment. Um, so yeah, I think, again, a goal that was very avoidable and um, it almost felt like two, three passes similar to the Madrid game on, on Wednesday. And next thing you know, Brighton are in um, in that position that where they can you know cause some damage to us. So um, we need to work on that and not losing possession ourselves in our in our own half, but also not letting these teams get these dangerous balls into the box and defending with a bit more a bit more you know leadership. I suppose like I don't think had that seen Silver jumping for that ball. I don't think Welbeck scoring had it been maybe even Kulabali. I don't think Welbeck scoring, but it looked like a bit 
a bit inexperienced from Fafana and Chaloba trying to get to that ball. And again, Badger's Hill for the second goal, I thought maybe not closing down enough or, yeah, so very two avoidable goals in a way. And it almost feels like every time we allow these teams to score these world-class goals, it's always against Chelsea. Mm. I don't know if that's, I don't want to blame Kepa anymore because he, he does get beaten a lot from long range, but it was a brilliant strike for the second one from NC. So, but I know that you maybe want to talk about Badger's Shield for that second goal. I, do you know, I, I do, but I'm going to take it back a bit before then because okay. it's Reese James for me who at before <laughs> there's even an opportunity for Brighton to score. I think I'm going to say there's three Chelsea players. One of them's Reese James. I can't remember who the other two are, but we should, we should retain possession of that ball. Reese James has got the ball. So there should be no way that Brighton from that should then be able to score. So I think Reese James has the ball. He loses it. I think it ends up with back in our half. Someone lobs it back to when CISO. Then if you remember, I think it's again, Reese James, Trevor Chalabar, who have that sort of weird lack of communication and CISO keeps the ball in. And I think it hits the, oh no, this is the chance. Sorry. No, I'm getting a muddled up. So this is the, the chance and CISO had hits the post. He hits the post first, I think before he scores and Reese James and Chalabar, it's just lack of communication between the two of them. And Danny Welbeck should score. He should score. He skies it over the bar. But for the goal itself, yes, I'm going to take it back now. Um, <laughs> it's Monday morning or Monday afternoon. Um, yeah, Badia Shaw should close him down. He should close him down 100%. And yes, Kepa gets beaten, you know, from long, long range, you know, worldies. But our defence doesn't help him. Our defence does not help him at all. You know, we, we got to see it on Wednesday against uh, with um, Asensio. We got to see it again on Saturday. You know, brilliant goal from Brian. You know, I think you know, it's his second goal, I think, for Brian in a short, short span of time. Um, but just the, Nunez again for Wolves. Yeah. Again, world-class yeah. goal. We're not closing him yeah. down. Cucurella. So it's not just the goalkeeper. I'm not saying the goalkeeper's not a fault at all. Um and I do think if we had a better goalkeeper, there might be an opportunity. You know, we had an Allison, or we had a, um, you know, a, a world class goalkeeper. Courtois. Yeah, yeah, exactly as well. We had someone who's able to just put the hand out a bit further. You know, uh, maybe. But I think the defense has got to help him. The, the ball shouldn't even get to the point where Kepa's got to make the save. That's what our defense is for. And if they're not doing the job, then the defense has to take the blame. Badia Shields too slow. He almost walks towards the ball. You've got to, you've got to charge with aggression. You've got to charge out for that ball, and and you've got to stop that. Whether you've got to put your whole body on the line, you've got to stop the ball getting to Kepa. We don't do that. So I think when it was one one, I always thought there's going to be an opportunity for Brian to score. You know, Matoma was looking. He, I mean, he's not with the greatest respect to Brighton. He's not a Brighton player. He should be playing top level. You know, one of the top clubs, and I think he will. You know, I think he's that good. You know, you watched him on Saturday, and he's just. I know it was Trevor Chalabar and he was out of position, but, you know, playing right back, but it's just, he's a, he's a, he reminds me of Aiden Hazard with the ball. He really does. I don't know what you think about Matomo, whether he, whether he, he has those sort of Hazard traits or, you know, should he be playing at a, a, you know, a top, I don't know, a top four club. I don't want to say top six, but top four. Surely he should be going to top European club somewhere. Yeah, I even I think I called it out in the previous episode. I said he was the player to watch and he will end up at a top six yeah. club. Um with all due respect to Brighton. But um but he's a fantastic player, his burst of energy, his dribbling. Um every time he had the ball on that on that left hand side in that first half because I was in the West Lower 
every single Chelsea fan will kind of like shrug and sigh thinking, oh God, here we go, here he goes again in a way. Um, and it almost, we just gave him too much space though. That's the one problem. Yeah. I think Chiloba obviously playing a bit out of position at right back, wasn't closing him down, was getting beat way too easily. Um, and we were allowing him to just penetrate inside our penalty box too easily as well. And I think a few times he had some scuff shots that could have easily on another day gone in, given how good of a player he is. Um, but yeah, fantastic player. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if we're linked to him this summer as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One person we are going to be linked with <laughs> is Romelu Lukaku, who I think has... Oh, <laughs> well, you know, I've come round. I think this morning, I don't know if it's just Monday, and I'm trying to be optimistic to start the week on a high, but... I think I'm coming round to the idea of Lukaku coming back to Chelsea now. I've, I just, you know, you sent me a really good piece um, from 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 Twitter, the journalist, uh, and I will quote him in a minute. I'm gonna gonna quote him so I don't misquote him. Um, but that was a really good piece of 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 work that he'd done. Um, yeah, RJP journalism. So really good piece. If you haven't followed him on Twitter, make sure you do. Um, breaks down basically everything we need to do in the next 30 days or so to try and comply with FFP. But um, in terms of Lukaku, I just don't see anyone, if, if obviously the news that's come out this morning is Inter Milan have decided that they don't, don't want to retain Romelu Lukaku for another season. Um, it almost looks like he's going to come back to Chelsea. I'm coming round to the idea that we need a striker Bamiang looks like he's going to get his name changed to Patrick, seeing as I keep calling him Patrick. Um, but I think Lukaku coming back, maybe with Nkuku as well. We have to remember we've got him. If we don't keep Zhao Felix, we've got Mudrik, who looks, as you said, a good player. Mason Mount might find the form that he did with a new manager in charge. Lukaku coming in isn't, is it really that bad of a of an option? I mean, he's keeping Inter Milan in, in the Champions League. They're all thereabouts in the Serie A. Is the door still ajar for Lukaku in your in your opinion? I mean, I always said that the problem with Lukaku was his relationship with Tuchel, which clearly was very toxic, and they didn't see eye to eye. And Boli even told him last summer. Um, that he wants him to stay, he's part of his plans, etc. And then um, they had a very positive conversation, Todd and um, and Lukaku. And then I think it was Inter Milan come June time, they came calling and he went to to Inter on loan. Um, he is a number nine, he knows how to score. We know how good he was before that interview period and before that thing, injury picked up in October against um, Malmo in a Champions League. But, um, but it's whether the fans will forgive him. I know that football is quite a funny game and how you you hate a player but then as soon as they score two or three the pass is forgotten in a way and you'll start cheering for him again but uh for me i want a player who's committed to the shirt to the badge and from what lukaku said in the past it doesn't seem like he is i think he's got this big ego where he you know feels like if he loves inter so much let him stay there let him fight for his position there but um I don't know. I'm still very on the fence as well. Like, like I just said, we've scored one goal in our last five games across competitions. And so clearly our problem this season has been scoring goals. Defensively at times you look relatively solid, but our problem has been scoring goals. 
And does Lukaku solve that without spending an awful lot of money in the transfer window on someone like Ivan Tony, like Victor Osimhen, like Harry Kane, not that we're ever going to get him? Maybe, but I just don't want the same Lukaku we saw end of last season, who was very lethargic, who was complaining, who was telling lies as well. Um, but then new owner, new manager, it might be a, a new chance for him to redeem himself for the fans. Um, I do think some kind of apology or statement is needed on his behalf again. And that's very important. Um, but like you, I'm slowly on the fence. I think I said a few episodes back that I'd only let him come back to Chelsea to scrub the boots <laughs> of the academy players. Maybe now I let him come back to scrub the boots of the first team players. But he stepped up a little bit. <laughs> he stepped up indeed. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm just looking at his stats for this season for Inter Milan, and they don't. Like, not the best. I mean, he's you know he's played 18 matches. He's missed a lot of football due to injuries. This is just for Serie A. So he's, he's played 18 league matches and scored three goals. Champions League four games, three goals. Uh, Coppa Italia. Two matches, one goal. So it's not the prolific Lukaku that was at Inter Milan, you know, 22, uh, 20, 20, 20, 21 season. Um, this is the Lukaku that really um, hasn't been hitting the, the back of the net as much as he should have. So there is a massive question mark for me in terms of does he, does he actually need to maybe come back to the club, but we still go and get another striker I think that could be another option you know do we go and get Ivan Tony who for me potentially would be the cheaper option out of some of the names you just mentioned there and Ivan Tony's looking brilliant Ollie Watkins I mean Ollie why not Ollie Watkins mm. uh, you know someone who we know, we know can score goals but Lukaku hasn't been firing this season and he's missed a lot of football due to injury so do I think he's coming back 100% you know if Inter Milan are going to take him again for another season I don't see him going anywhere else on loan. Um, who can afford his wages? You also have to think, do the club really want to take a massive hit on not getting anything back from what you know was paid to bring him into the club as well? So there, there is that. I think he needs to try and get his value back up or change his image slightly, change, you know, show that he can actually score goals again and you know goes back to the, come back to Chelsea and, and, and even if it's off the bench, you know, or... I don't know, but I think he comes back. I think there's no question around it now that he's coming back. If if Inter are saying they don't want him, where else can he go? Where else would he go? Um, I don't see it. I, would I want him back? Potentially, no. I was. I still want Ivan Tony. Been shouting it for about three episodes now, but you know, I want a proper goal scorer. So if he's going to play back up to someone, which he could do, you know, if he's if he's not scoring goals currently for Inter, then why should he come back and just slot straight back into the team? I still want a, a prolific goal scorer. And if he wants to prove himself at the club, then by all means he can do that. But I, I just don't see where else he's going to go. Uh, and I don't see Todd Bowley, who has a really good relationship with him, wanting him to go for any less than 60, 70 million. So who's, who's going to pay that? Yeah, no, he needs to prove himself on the pitch and he needs to redeem himself, the Chelsea fans, before we, we let him back into the squad, that's for sure. I agree. I agree. I agree. Let's let's move on. Some more sort of news around managerial takeover and managerial change. Um, Ruben Amorim has effectively taken himself out of the race of the new manager at Chelsea, uh, as reported by David Orstein this morning. The Athletic um, thoughts on that, Theo? What do you think? Because I, th I think it's um, 
I mean, it's one that you mentioned, I think, last week on, on our episode. But what's your thoughts on, on, on Ruben taking himself out? Nagelsmann's still obviously hot favourite with Luis Enrique as well. But I know you mentioned uh, Amarim as one of those sort of other candidates potentially that we might be, be looking into. Yeah, so David Ornstein's just put up a tweet from The Athletic saying that Chelsea reduced permanent head coach search from five to ten candidates to a handful as process moves towards appointment in coming weeks. Um, race is still open, no firm favourite. Ruben Amarim respected but not expected to figure in the final stages. So clearly we took the time to maybe talk to him, talk to his agent, um, maybe assess his profile. But it seems now that we're more leaning towards Nagelsmann. I think he's the hot favourite, like you mentioned. And I think that was reported yesterday. And I would kind of think that the second option after that is um, Luis Enrique, who are the two kind of logical favourites. Um, in terms of Ruben Amarim, I think it would have been a, a bit of a risk, potentially. Um, I think I don't know where else he's managed outside of Sporting Lisbon. That being said, what he has achieved at Sporting Lisbon is pretty remarkable. I think their first their first uh, Liga Nosh title in um over a decade or two decades even. He's really loved amongst the sporting fans. He seems like he knows what he's doing as well in the, in the Europa League. Knocked out Arsenal um, in a game at the Emirates. And I think we were all very pleased about that. And I'm not sure you got to watch the game against um, Juventus on Thursday night, but he's sporting with a better team, much better team. So he's got them playing some really good football. I know that in, in the league, they're not really, it's not really reflected. They're currently fourth and behind um, Benfica, Porto and Braga. But a very good manager, I think. Um, eventually, I think he's a type of profile and name that will come to the Premier League, whether it's not Chelsea or be maybe one of the other clubs. But I do think definitely keep your eye on him. Um, and um, if it doesn't happen now, I think, like I said, it's going to happen eventually. And I still feel like there's a bit of a Mourinho in him, um, kind of. Hopefully Mourinho and not Villas Boas, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely indeed more Mourinho. Um, I think I read earlier as well um, that um, he was also interviewed or potentially contacted when um before Thomas Tuchel sorry when Thomas Tuchel left so he's obviously been on the radar for Chelsea for some time as well and like you said you know he's doing really good at sporting doing really well there um I, I do feel like you it potentially at the moment would be a risk and I still think Julian Nagelsmann is another risk as well with the players that we've currently got so I think he's only 38 um, so still relatively young as a manager. Yeah. So I think he's still got plenty of time ahead of him. You know, there's nothing to say, you know, in the next couple of years, I'm sure we'll be having the same discussion about who the next Chelsea manager is going to be, the way that the current owners are um, uh, hiring and firing, that we might be talking about him in a couple of years, potentially coming to Chelsea as well. So, you know, I think he's got a lot of time and I think, you know, time's on his side. Um, but very interesting to see that he's pulled out or that the, the interest has cooled down. Um and I, I think I did also read as well, just to, to finish on on the managerial part, is I think they're hoping, say they, Chelsea are hoping to have someone in place, a new manager in place in the next couple of weeks or so to, you know, something I've been screaming for so long is we need to have a manager. We need to know the direction we're going in terms of manager. The manager needs to be in before the season ends. We need to have all that set up so that when we get to the end of the season, we can assess what needs to happen in terms of transfers, in terms of who stays, who goes. Um, and it allows that new manager to come in fresh before the preseason to evaluate the squad, get ready for preseason properly as opposed to um, coming in mid preseason. And obviously we're, we're in the States, something we, we, the, the part of the summer series um, with 
I think it's five other Premier League clubs as well. So we're going to be over in the States um, doing a small tour there. So you want that manager to come in early to be able to assess and do all of that before we fly out there. But very interesting. Um, I'm going to ask you again. I think I asked you last week. I think I said I'm still Luis Enrique. I'm assuming you're still Luis Enrique. I think you said last week. I'm very 50 <laughs> I literally... I'm yeah. sticking with Enrique. It feels like every time I read I read their profiles and their kind of style of management, <laughs> I kind of get attracted to both of them. Um, but I do I do agree. I think um, we need to um, have something in place in the next coming weeks. You look back at United last yeah. season, they had um, Ralph Ragnick in charge as interim from November to the end of the season. But from, I think Eric Ten Hag might have been confirmed this time last year, yeah, I yeah. believe. And he, he skipped his summer holidays to come in in June, um, implement what he wanted on the training ground, meet the, the players there at Manchester United. And now it seems to be going well for him at United. So I really hope the next manager um, comes in in the next few weeks and knows what he wants straight away, gets to meet the players, gets to work with the players, maybe um, has a few one-on-ones with them. At Cobham is in attendance at Stamford Bridge to watch us play. Um but yeah, in terms of who I want between Ragnick, I'm um, not Ragnick, uh, Enrique Ragnick. or um, or Nagelsmann. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I hope so as well. Um, I'm very 50-50. Uh, maybe I think leaning more towards Enrique, given his kind of international pedigree and his CV potentially. Yeah. Yeah. Someone did mention to me, just again, um, so I don't think Enrique, and I haven't, I haven't fact-checked this, but it does sound about right. That he hasn't managed at club level for just under eight years so it yeah. does that does kind of make me think, oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, you know, it's a long time to be out of club mm. football to then come back into it. But he still kept himself active. You know, he's still been involved in yeah. football. And Yeah, and the other thing I was going to say is what I do worry a little is the manager that we don't hire, I think Spurs will hire. Yep. Although Nagel's not has turned down Spurs. So if we, if we don't, yeah, yeah I'm pretty okay. sure I read that he's, oh, he's on the brink of turning Spurs down. And I think they're trying to lure um, Potticino back. So you you could be right. I mean, look, stranger things have happened. You know, Lukaku's coming back to Chelsea in a couple of months. So stranger things have <laughs> happened. So um, let's talk about tomorrow's game. Big, big game. I'm going to say, I am going to say it for this one. It is a must win. It is a big game. Do I see it happening? Do I see us scoring three goals and keeping Real Madrid quiet and not letting them score a goal? I don't see it happening, but I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to start with you first. What's your thoughts on tomorrow's game? Um, do we have any chance at all to turn around this 2-0 uh, from the first leg? Oh, I always like to look at the past and like what's happened in the past. We've turned around 2-0 goal deficits last season. Same fixture, 3-1 down after the first leg. We came back to, I think, 3-0 at one stage at the Bernabeu. Took it to extra time with 3-1. So it is possible, but I think a lot has changed at Chelsea Football Club since that. New manager, new players. We're not playing football. That's particularly attractive or nice to watch. We can't score a bloody goal as well. Um, so is it possible? Absolutely not. No, I don't <laughs> think so. Um, I thought he was going to say, yeah. I'll keep it short and sweet. <laughs> No, I mean, I was kind of like building up towards it, but I think our expectations are relatively low. But I think you never know if we get an early goal, there might be a bit of belief, but we also need to keep the likes of Vinicius quiet again, Benzema quiet again, Rodrigo, Valverde, Asensio. And that's going to be a big challenge. And if we play anywhere near, like we did defensively against Madrid at the Bernabeu or um, 
like we did against Brighton, then they're just going to take every single one of their chances and it's going to be a very busy night for, for Kepa between the sticks again. I agree. That was going to be one of my questions and I suppose there's no better time to do that, but what would be your, what would be your lineup? Would you, would you, would you keep, obviously if Mendy isn't fit, which if he wasn't fit for Saturday, you'd assume he's not fit for, for Tuesday, but what would be your, your lineup to face Real Madrid? Um, before you answer that, I'm just going to say that Vinicius Junior and Benzema both didn't play at the weekend. So they are fresh. They, they train, they're back in training. They are fresh as anything. So um, I just wanted to caveat that before you said anything, because I think we're going to have to go with the back five, regardless of Kukurea's performances. But I'll stop there and I'll allow you to uh, reel off your 11. It's tricky because I don't want to see Cucurella feature anywhere near the 11, but given Chilwell's injury, he might have to at left wing back. Um, Koulibaly injured. Is, is Fafana suspended? No, no, no. He, he only picked up a yellow, but he should be okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. okay. So yeah, I think it's, it will be interesting to see if you bring back a player like Aspi for his leadership qualities in this type of game in the back three, or if you play James alongside Fafana and Silva and maybe have lost his cheek at right wing back or if you play Shaloba again it's very hard to say I'm struggling with my 11 but I know that two midfielders need to be Enzo and Kante yeah. um, I don't I haven't seen enough from Kovacic to think that he deserves to start again so I would go with Mason Mouse and the players slightly ahead of the, the two midfielders and then um, the two strikers sorry um, and then I'd go with Felix and potentially Havertz as the two up forward, up front. Yeah, I, I, mine's not much different to that. To be fair, I think I'd obviously if Kepa's the only fit goalkeeper uh, in terms of first choice, then I'd go with him. Reese James would be my right wing back. I would play Kukurea as left wing back, but I think that's more forced than want. Um, I mm. think we we don't really have a choice. I don't really. I wouldn't want to bring Aspie back into a game where he's missed so much football. I don't want to see Reese James or, or Pulisic or Sterling as a left wing backer. I just don't, I don't agree with that. I don't like it. So he's our only choice. And and to be fair, I think that role suits him better than as a center, a left center back. So I think, my, yeah, my, my, my three center backs would be uh, Fafana, Silva, um, Trevor Chalabar. Two midfield like you, Kante, um, Enzo. Again, I'd have Mason Mount as I did, I think, on the Brighton game, just ahead of him. And then I think I'll go for a two of uh, Felix and Havertz up front. I think Sterling, I wouldn't use. Mudrick looked really good against Brighton, but I just I just don't know why he's not really been in the team as much. And I think this is a must-win game, so you do potentially have to go with a bit more experience um, in, in this game. Um, he says with Kukurea as left wing-back. But... Um, I think we haven't got a choice. I think we have to, I, I think the lineup is a lineup, but I think it's how we play, which will matter to me. You know, I don't care who, who goes out there. I think we just have to try and get free goals. And I know it sounds stupid, but we have done crazier things in, in, you know, Champions League nights before, you know, and I always bring this up on the podcast, but I just remember that Juventus game, you know, where we, we hammered Juventus and it was a really good Juventus team. Um, I think it was four, four nil, you know, so Things can happen in football. Champions League nights are just what they are. Um, I'm gonna, I am gonna be optimistic. I think we'll win. I don't think we'll win by three goals. I just don't. I, I think we'll win, maybe two nil, two one. But I just, I just can't see us. 
you know, Vinicius Jr., fresh, Benzema, fresh, Tony Cruz, Luka Modric, you know, Rodrigo again. It's just, it's going to be more of the same from last week, in my opinion. Yeah, I think uh, crazy things have happened at Chelsea Football Club. I agree. Um, it's going to be a big, big ask. Uh, I think I think we'll score. We might even score first. Maybe another fluky deflected goal. You never know. We do love a fluke. Um, <laughs> but I think, yeah, but I think Madrid will score one or two. So I think we'll lose 2-1 this one. Um, same same scoreline um, from Brighton. Yeah. I'm going to go 2-1. I think we'll win. I think we'll win 2-1. But it will just be too little. I don't think it's. I think we. I think it would be a shame if we did win two one because I'd, I'd hate to see us put in a really good performance when we should have done that last week or we should have done that against Brighton. You know, I, I think I'm at the point now where I don't want to see these these players start turning up and kicking, you know, football and playing nine out of tens. You know, they should have done that at the start of the season. Um, one player I haven't actually mentioned and was very surprised, Hakim Ziyech playing on on Saturday, um, didn't make any sense to me. But I, I do think if we win, we win. But it's I, I think it's too little, too late, in my opinion. Yeah, I'd agree. But I just want, like you said earlier, I just want to see a good performance, something that gives the fans a bit of belief. And I kind of want the crowd to be riled up like they were for that Dortmund game, kind of all behind the fans, the 12th man. Because um, if we are going to get knocked out for what probably be our last Champions League game in a very yeah. long time, European game, if anything, then we need to go out with a bang and kind of show, you know, Madrid and the rest of Europe that, you know, this, this is, we are here, we want to be behind the team. Um, so yeah, let's, let's make it a big Champions League night regardless. I agree. I agree. I mean, <laughs> it's a shame we can't put the, play, play the ladies who are doing really well. Um, they've done, <laughs> done brilliantly against Aston Villa at the weekend, reaching the uh, FA Cup final. They'll face Manchester United. Um, I'm not not sure of the date of when the final is, um, but they had the magic kit on the the kit that you thought was going to you know, give you some some luck with Zhao Felix. Um, they had that kit on our, our third kit, one um, nil Samka sending Chelsea women um, in into a final. I think this is the, the third final. Um, yeah, third season in a row. So a lot to play for. Chelsea women are in the final. Um, really good for them. You know, congratulations to them. I think they, they achieved, a, achieved a lot under Emma Hayes, who's a brilliant, brilliant uh, coach. You know, really, really good uh, what she does as well. Um, what's your thoughts on, on that, Theo, just before we wrap up? Yeah, huge achievement once again. Like you said, third FA Cup final in a row for the Chelsea women um, in the Champions League semi-final yeah. as well, where we're playing Barcelona on Saturday at 12.30. Um, so two big achievements it could be um, if the Chelsea men aren't doing well it could be a big season for the Chelsea women and I think second in the Women's Super League with a game in hand behind Manchester United so potentially a treble is on the cards um, which is really exciting all to play for um, all to play for so if we're not going to have much nothing to be proud of with the Chelsea men this season at least we can be really proud of our, our ladies and uh, like you said Emma Hayes is a fantastic coach and maybe if she can sneak in and addressing me in a half time <laughs> on Tuesday then maybe that might give us that little push and extra bit of motivation we need tactically she as well she doesn't need to sneak in they should be rolling the red carpet out for her she should be 
She should be taking charge of the men's team by the looks of it. But um, yeah, no, really congrats, congratulations to the women's team. Um, and, and yeah, looking forward to the final. Before we wrap up, please make sure you subscribe to the channel. Make sure you give the video a thumbs up. Make sure you hit the notification bell if you're on Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. And also, more importantly, hit the link tree link in the description. That will take us to all our podcast episodes and all our social accounts as well. Theo, as always, thank you very much episode 90 from the shed end until next week we'll be back thank you very much for watching and listening